Get to Old Navy for the biggest sale of the year. Up to 60% off all back-to-school styles for kids and baby. Get flip-flops for 2 bucks, graphic tees for 4 bucks, shorts for $6, and jeans for $8. Right now, get the best kids' styles at kid-size prices. Just 2 4 6 and $8. Can't wait to wear it? Buy online and pick up in-store free today. Up to 60% off all kids and baby styles now at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 729-811. Select styles. Excludes in-store Hi, it's Jamie, progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hey, Jamie, it's me, Jamie. This is your daily pep talk. I know it's been rough going ever since people found out about your acapella group, Mad Harmony, but you will bounce back. I mean, you're the guy always helping people find coverage options with the Name Your Price tool. It should be you giving me the pep talk. Now get out there, hit that high note, and take Mad Harmony all the way to nationals this year! Sorry, it's pitchy. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the NBA Podcast. I'm Brian Taporic, and we have a great episode for you today, as always. We're going to talk about the latest on the Kyrie Irving trade rumors front. We're also going to discuss Derek Rose signing with the Cavs, Alan Crabb finally ending up with the Nets, and details on the Pau Gasol signing. Before we get underway, just a reminder that you can follow us on Twitter, at the NBA Pod. In our bio, you can find all three of our Twitter handles, so give us a follow as well. You can also find us on iTunes, so please subscribe, download, leave some reviews. We would love any feedback. And we're being hosted this year on FanRag Sports, so check them out on Twitter, at FanRag Sports, and for their NBA content, at FanRag NBA. Joining me today, as always, are my two co-hosts, Morton Jensen and Sarah Chalea. How's it going, you two? It's going well, Brian. <laughs> Going good, yep. Awesome, awesome. All right, so let's delve right into the Kyrie stuff. Get to Old Navy for the biggest sale of the year. Up to 60% off all back-to-school styles for kids and baby. Get flip-flops for 2 bucks, graphic tees for 4 bucks, shorts for $6, and jeans for $8. Right now, get the best kids' styles at kid-size prices. Just 2 4 6 and $8. Can't wait to wear it? Buy online and pick up in-store free today. Up to 60% off all kids and baby styles now at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Com. Valid 729-811. Select styles. Excludes in-store clearance. Uh, we talked about for about 40 minutes last week about uh, just the, the idea of him wanting a trade in general and kind of where the best places would be for him. So we don't need to rehash all of that this week. We just need to talk about kind of the latest developments on that front. So ESPN's Adrian Wojnarowski reported Friday that six teams have already made an offer the four on his wish list, which were the San Antonio Spurs, Minnesota Timberwolves, New York Knicks, and the Miami Heat. Also, the Phoenix Suns and the Los Angeles Clippers have made an offer. The Denver Nuggets, at least according to Woj, have not, even though all three of us really think he would be good there. Same with the Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, <laughs> we're recording this on Sunday, and if you are on Twitter today, you have inevitably seen this video of Stephen Curry at a wedding doing <laughs> a dance that is only being interpreted as him making fun of uh, LeBron James's workout videos, and Kyrie is in the background cheering him on. So both of you last week were in the camp that, yeah, you know, Kyrie wants to trade, that's great, let's go to camp, let's see if we can get him and LeBron on the same page. Let's see if we can smooth the waters a little bit. Sarah, are you still feeling that way? 
It's getting a lot tougher, isn't it? I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm sure they're going to come out and say that's not what was going on at the wedding. But uh, regardless, it seems like there's a lot of, at the very least, miscommunication leading to bad blood boiling. So it's not an ideal situation. But there again, if he's trying to force his way out of town, makes sense. But you're only making it more difficult for Cleveland to get an offer that they're going to want to take. So it's a, that's a tough place to be. Yeah, it, it does seem like he is... He's kind of doing what the Knicks did to Carmelo Anthony, but he's doing it to himself. He's just removing <laughs> a lot of the leverage that Cleveland has in these talks. Uh, Mort, how do you feel? Would you still be willing to bring him into camp, or are you starting to think he needs to go now? Well, I thought that he should probably go regardless, because when you demand a trade, it's only a matter of time. Uh, I, I just argue that they should go into camp uh, because it would be preferable for them to hang on to him instead of selling him for like 40 cents on the dollar. Having said that, <clears throat> in regards to the video, I've just I've learned that not to take what NBA players do on video too seriously. I just it it I don't think it really matters all that much. I mean, we put a lot of, you know, importance into those videos and it's it's not really important at all. I don't think it's moves the needle anything, but it like Sarah said, it's miscommunication and that's what you take away from it. Because regardless of what his intentions were, LeBron might see it differently. The Cavs organization might see it differently. Um, and that could just lead to bad blood. And nobody wants that. I just want to go back to the fact that the Denver Nuggets wasn't involved. Mm -hmm. Like, that that puzzles me. Like, we should, we should spend 40 minutes just talking about that. <laughs> because, like, <clears throat> Nuggets... My man, where are you at, boys? I mean, this is an opportune time to get a guy who will strengthen your weakest, absolute weakest position. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, maybe they're just that high on Jamal Murray taking over as their starting point guard, but... Ugh, I got shivers down my spine. <laughs> just, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it, so far, you know, last week we got into quite a battle over what we think Kyrie's trade value is. Um, and so Woj had details on a couple of the offers... He said the Suns are not willing to include Josh Jackson. There have also been reports that Devin Booker's off the table, so it's probably looking more like the, the a type of offer that I suggested where, you know, Eric Bledsoe, TJ Warren, and then who knows what else. Maybe you throw in a pick there. Maybe you throw in Dragon Bender. Um, he said the Heat are willing to part with Goran Dragic and Justice Winslow as the centerpieces for a trade. Um the Heat came out and denied that immediately, but you <laughs> that's BS, of course they are. That's not that much to part <laughs> yeah. with. So, uh, Woj did say, given the history between Cleveland and Miami, there's little chance for a deal unless the Heat offered an overwhelming package. Mort, before we start recording, you, you said Denver is probably just sitting this one out for now and is like playing the auction scenario. Mm -hmm. So I, I think you might be on to something there. Yeah, they're the third party. They're just waiting for teams to like battle out, and then they top it up with a with a what people will assume is an extravagant offer, and it's just like the superior one because they have so many assets. Right. Like that was one of the the keys that you know for the rest of the teams involved, they don't have a lot of assets. Like the Spurs, Lamarcus Aldridge. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, like right. I I say his name. Both of you started smirking. Right. <laughs> I mean, that's 
what do they have, right? The T-Wolves just more or less got together. There's no way to really facilitate a trade there. Mm-hmm. The Knicks, I mean, outside of Kristaps, who do they even have? Like, the, that would make sense to go the other direction. Like, no one. Right, yeah. So, it just... So, Denver right now, according you know, according to me, and I'm, I'm a nobody, but still, <laughs> they should be in the driver's seat. They really should. Yeah. They can offer several young shooting guard prospects. They can offer draft picks. They can offer wings. I mean, they have so much going for them. Yeah. I mean... Why not? They, they have... You know, Will Barton will be a free agent after this season, and he doesn't factor into their long-term outlook. They have Wilson Chandler. They have, you know, probably Cleveland would want both of Gary Harris and Jamal Murray, but if Cleveland isn't getting good offers elsewhere, maybe Denver says, you know, (laughs) tries their luck and tries to only throw in Jamal Murray in the deal. And for Cleveland, that's... Malik Beasley is there, too. Yeah, Malik Beasley's there, and for... For Cleveland, that's great because Murray and Beasley both have three years left on their deal. So when LeBron inevitably leaves after this season, that gives them some building blocks. You know, it won't be like that first post-LeBron season in 2010-2011 where they were just a complete wasteland of talent. Like, Mm. if you have Murray, Beasley, Barton would probably leave, but Wilson Chandler, that does help you win now and later. So, I mean... Hernan Gomez as well. Sorry to interrupt yeah. you. I just forgot he's there too. Yeah. Jesus, they're loaded. Yeah. And then, you know, maybe you can convince Denver as part of this trade to also take back Shumpert. It sounds like part of Cleveland's motivation is to dump salary in this deal. So... Tristan Thompson. Like, if you offered to take on Tristan. That would, that would be... Uh, God, that would, he would be such a bad fit in Denver, though. Oh, absolutely. But, <laughs> like, if you offer to take that contract, if LeBron is leaving, yeah. Tristan Thompson's contract gets worse. I mean, every single one of those players' contracts gets worse. J.R. Smith for, like, yeah. four years, $57 million or whatever, or even oh, Kyle yeah, Korver yeah. for three years, 22 Like, God, that is an atrocious signing for Cleveland. Like, maybe you had to do it, but I feel like Cleveland would have been better off just doing like one year, fourteen million. Swallow the extra luxury tax, but don't be stuck with Kyle Korver at what age thirty seven, thirty eight without LeBron. Now possibly without Kyrie next year. Jump shooters doesn't age. Yeah, well, <laughs> talk to him last year against the Warriors because yeah. he did not oh, fare yeah. well. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, yeah. All right, so let's move on to. I mean that. The Cavs are, we're still sticking with the Cavs, but we're going to move on uh, to the other big story with them for the week is that they signed Derrick Rose to a one-year, $2.1 million deal. Uh, according to Sham Sharania of The Vertical, it sounds like they've discussed with him both the possibility of him being a starter and a reserve, um, depending on what happens with Kyrie, whether they get, you know, it. If they bring Kyrie into camp, obviously Derrick Rose is not the starter. Um, if they trade him to Phoenix and get Eric Bledsoe back in return, he's not the starter. If they trade him to the Knicks and get Carmelo Anthony back, well, suddenly he's the starter. So it's unclear uh, what his role is going to be exactly, and we're not going to know that until we see what happens with Kyrie. But Sarah, conceptually, how do you like the fit of Derrick Rose in Cleveland? Conceptually, it's not bad, especially considering the position that they've been put in. Um, 
you get him for you know on the cheap and you know theoretically he can be a good uh, off ball slasher when you want to have the ball in LeBron's hands so that's fine <laughs> you know they're just gonna have to scramble if they end up you know moving Kyrie of course hopefully you get some some guards back um, that you can build around but yeah they're they're in a rough position this offseason just went to hell so fast for them <laughs> it just just swirled of course you know in that sense they're a good match for Derek because the same thing kind of happened for him so, <laughs> that's true <laughs> so hey maybe they could somehow salvage something out of this together I mean he's he's not obviously what he once was but he can still be productive and they're gonna need that so yeah, I mean, I, I saw a lot of people making fun of this on Twitter, and I didn't really understand it, because, yeah, he's, like, if, if he's your starting point guard, that's not great. That's going to be a huge downgrade from Kyrie to Derrick Rose. But, like, for one year and $2.1 million, they're paying Jose Calderon more money. Yeah. And Jose Calderon hasn't been good at basketball for, like, five years. So, <laughs> you know, Derrick, like, of course, he's not his MVP self, but he, you know, he was... He had his best season last year with the Knicks that he's had in the past four years since his ACL tear. So, like, coming off the bench, ideally, he comes off the bench, he's, like, the anchor of your second unit. He provides some scoring that you just didn't have off Mm -hmm. of your reserves last year. Like, once LeBron hit the bench, the Cavs couldn't score the damn ball. So, like, Derrick Rose, if he's coming off the bench, you know, gives LeBron a breather and can actually run the offense, I don't see the downside here. Mort, you have more experience with Derrick Rose than both of us. Do you like the fit here? Here's the thing. Derrick, in his second season, was actually a fantastic off-ball mid-range shooter. Like, Mm -hmm. when he got the ball in the mid-range area and just spotted up at that point, that was before he started taking a lot of threes. He was superbly efficient. Um, I, I have the numbers right here. He, he shot over 53% from the field between um, 3 and 10 feet, for example, and almost 50% from t- between 10 and 16 feet. He was just a killer in those areas. If he could return somewhat to that line of thinking without being ball dominant, he would give the Cavs a very, very nice scoring spark without you know just squeezing time out of the clock. That's really where his biggest hurdle is because he got so used to handling the basketball and taking shots off the dribble and consistently be the main cog in a defensive or an offensive setting. So he needs to to scale it back and incorporate himself as as a guy who finds you know the lanes and the open spots on the floor where he can receive the ball and just go straight up with a jump shot. Mm-hmm. I trust that jump shot at least in the mid range area enough to to the point that you can set up a lot of plays for him every game, but he should just not handle the basketball and be the primary initiator. That's the problem. He's just not very good at it anymore because he doesn't have his athleticism. He's lost a lot on his jump shot in terms of efficiency, and he's just not that same player. Had he not had the ACL tear, I would have given him the ball and just said, go get him, because he was trending upwards. He was. I mean, we never really gave Rose enough credit for the where he was going back then before the ACL, he was going to be better than Westbrook as far as I'm concerned. I mean, that's where we're at. He was he was in that he was in that criteria. He was going to be better. Now, 
yeah, I mean, he'll have to survive. I mean, I thought China. Remember, I yeah. for a while I said he was going to China, but uh, hey, it's the closest thing to a minimum contract. I mean, barely, right? I mean, Brandon Jennings just signed in China. Yeah. He couldn't even get a, a minimum, so it was close. So he really needs to like face himself and go, I'm not, you know, the max player. I'm not the the big salary dude anymore. I need to just let the stars handle it. I need to play off of them. I need to survey the floor. I need to find the open cracks, and I just need to attack. The question is, is he he intelligent enough to do so on the basketball court? He was once, but I'm just not sure that he is anymore. I think his ego has sort of leapfrogged that intelligence. Well, a one-year $2.1 million deal is probably going to humble him a little bit, right? Hopefully. Hopefully. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, especially if he's coming in a reserve role, I think he will be more willing to play that kind of style than if he came in with, like, an $18 million deal and a promise to be a starter. Like, I think he, by signing with Cleveland, he knew what he was getting into. And, you know, the Kyrie stuff kind of started to trickle out around the same time, so maybe he thought, like, yeah, you know, best-case scenario, it's an opportunity to play for a championship contender, play starter, play big minutes. But, like, otherwise, at least I'll get to play for a ring and I don't have to waste my time on the Knicks and put up, you know, big stats on a bad team. Um, It it sounds like the Lakers did offer him more money, but he turned them down. Like, they wanted him as uh, their reserve kind of a veteran mentor for Lonzo Ball, but he turned them down and said, no, I want to, you know, I want to go play for a championship. And his agent... Well, he's got Adidas money. Yeah, remember. right, exactly. Yeah, he has... So, or or as it's pronounced, Adidas. <laughs> it's German, so needs to do it right. Um, but no, I think, what was that, what was the number for that deal? I think it was 185 million, I think maybe even more. Yeah, he said for life. Yeah, like completely. And then he still had the max deal from Chicago. So, like, he doesn't need anything. Mm-hmm. Oh, and more importantly, obviously, he's a spokesperson, or at least he used to be for Giordano's Pizzeria. So, <laughs> I mean, you know, you know when, when you get that, that's when you know, like, you're legit. Screw the MVP. Like, a pizza place? Dude. Yeah. Although, Bank. hot take, Giordano's is not the best deep dish pizza in Chicago. But How dare you? That, How dare that's you? That's a fight for another day. You've been wrong twice in one week now. <laughs> Alright, let's move on to the Nets, uh, who finally, a year later, Sean Marks, their general manager, gets his man, Alan Crabb. Uh, he traded Andrew Nicholson in return to the Blazers. The Blazers, I don't know if they've acti- actually already done it, but they plan on waving him and stretching him. Uh, basically saves them like more than $40 million in terms of luxury tax payments. So, more, you and I have been Alan Crabb stands for a long time now. Uh, one, what, do you like the fit of Crabb on the Nets? And two, do you think Marks should have gotten more? Like, should he have extracted a second-round pick or even, you know, a protected first-rounder with Crab to save Portland all that money? Yeah, I, I the last part. Um, look, I like Ellen Crab, so do you. But here's the thing. In, in terms of his production, 
he's very close. He's a lot closer to actually being a minimum salary player than he is being an eighteen million dollar player. So, it, it's he's a good fit. I like the guy. He's got potential. He can get better, especially with more touches. He's a terrific shooter. But theoretically, Sean Marks could have gone out on the market and found guys at least similar that to Crab, like guys who are 80-85% of his caliber for a minimum deal. Like, if he had gotten a first-round draft pick as a means of compensation for taking on that contract, then that would have made a hell of a lot more sense. What Marks is doing right now is taking a huge gamble. He's hoping Crab just breaks out big time and look i applaud the optimism but i i think it's a little bit misplaced yeah i mean it sounds like they tentatively i forget where i read this but i think they're planning on starting him at small forward so it'll be some combination of jeremy lynn and d'angelo russell at the one and the two they're effectively interchangeable uh probably Mm. crab at the three who knows at the four i guess Rondé Hollis-Jefferson or Trevor Booker or someone, and then Mozgov at the five. But, um, you know, Crab is a great shooter. He shot, like, 40-some percent from three last year. Yeah, 44. Yeah, mm-hmm. so great long-range shooter. But, as you said, Mort, the production elsewhere isn't there yet. Whether that was a product of him just being buried behind, you know, C.J. McCollum, uh <laughs> Mo Harkless, Alfaruk Aminu playing with Evan Turner, who is also not a great shooter. Uh, it might have just been like, you know, give him a larger role and he's going to break out, similar to how Harrison Barnes you know, looked like a, a nobody in the Warriors system, and then all of a sudden he's putting up 20 points a game with Dallas. Uh, so that could be part of it. Also, I, I think it was Bobby Marks of ESPN who said this. They were basically like saying, look, we, you know, we got rid of Nicholson six million a year. We're bringing in Crab on eighteen million a year, so we're effectively treating him as a twelve million twelve million dollar a year player instead of an eighteen million dollar a year player. Which, you know, that logic sort of makes sense, but like Crab's contract is still on your books for eighteen. So like, if you're ever gonna trade him, you still have to trade eighteen. You're not trading twelve. Um, that's that's kind of the same argument. You know, when the Bulls traded for Chris Dunn and those guys, like, we effectively got a lot of first-round draft yeah. picks. <laughs> I mean, that's, I, get, I, I agree with you. Like, the logic sort of is there, but he's still earning $18 million. Right. Like, that you would have given up something. But let me ask you something. Would you rather have Quinn Cook at the minimum or Alan Crabb at eighteen mil? I mean, I just love Alan Crabb. So, like, the, <laughs> the thing for the Nets is, like, cap space effectively doesn't matter for them at least for the next two to three years right they're going to be really bad they don't have their own draft pick this year they have no way of they can't land top tier talent like they they should have had markel fultz their pick was the number one pick last year they should have markel fultz right right now they you know there's a real chance that they end up with another top five pick which immediately heads to boston next year so there is no incentive for them to tank so i respect Sean Marks for saying, look, we're just going to go out and get talent however we can. We know no big-name free agent is going to sign with us for the next two to three years. Like, we're going effectively nowhere. So let's get as much young talent as we can however we can. And then maybe maybe D'Angelo Russell breaks out. Maybe Alan Crabb breaks out. 
uh, maybe Karis LeVert or Isaiah Whitehead or Rondé Hollis-Jefferson turns into a legitimate rotation piece. Now we suddenly have some young building blocks that can be attractive two to three years down the line, but you know, we've got Timothy Mozgov's deal on the books for the next three years. Now we have Alan Crabb's deal on the books for the next three years. Like, it's fine. It's, you know, you can argue that they wasted the opportunity cost of having that cap space because maybe a team mm. at the trade deadline this year or next summer when half the teams in the league are going to be in the luxury tax, maybe a team needs to dump salary and then, yep. you know, it would, it would attach something more enticing but maybe you know sean marks is the one who signed him to that deal originally and he threw in a trade kicker too which crab (laughs) thankfully waved or else that would have just been hilarious um but like marks believes in him okay but so here's the thing last week we talked about washington Mm -hmm. and the yan mahimi contract you should have that cap space open just for yan mahimi (laughs) yeah (laughs) Yeah. Because you could squeeze the living shit out of uh, Washington in terms of, like, future assets. Mm-hmm. Or, like, Kelly Oubre. Oh, and, and Kelly Oubre. Not just or. And. Yeah. Because they are, just, they, they are so close to building something good. They just need to get out of that horrid contract. Mm-hmm. Now that opportunity is no longer there. And also, like, when I asked you about, you know, the Quinn Cook thing, it's just because if you get a guy who is... Yeah, it's tough to put a percentage on. It's just like me speculating. But I mean, if Quinn Cook is like sixty percent of the player that Alan Crabb is on a minimum deal, like you do that because then you get somewhat comparable talent at at eighteen million less, more or less, or seventeen million less. Yeah. Because Crabb is going to pick up his player option oh, at yeah, the end of his deal sure. as well. Like obviously, so he's locked in for for three years. Mm-hmm. If he doesn't break out, who is going to take him? Yeah. Well, so as we will talk about shortly with the Pau Gasol thing, sometimes there is value in having a big contract on the books for salary matching purposes, even if the player isn't that good. So like, while I agree conceptually that, like, yeah, Quinn Cook probably gives you 70 75% of what Alan Crabb does, like, if we look a year or two down the line... You can't trade Quinn Cook for anything because he's going to be signed to a minimum deal. You can't get anything of value in return for him. If you can somehow flip Crab in a you know in a larger deal, uh, or if you need to match salary, like if you know if the Wizards are trying to dump Mahimi, you need to be able to match salary to get him back. So maybe you send Crab there, and then they send Mahimi and Ubre and whatever else. Oh, I kind of like that even though Crab is so overpaid. Crab in Washington? Mm-hmm. Off the bench? Yeah. Kind of dig that. Yeah. So, I I don't hate the move. What, Sarah, do you have any strong opinions on Crab in Brooklyn? No, I don't have any strong opinion. <laughs> uh, as you guys mentioned, he's a terrific shooter. He was second in the league at three-point field goal percentage last year. Other than that, there isn't a lot to go on, but I guess we're going to find out this season uh, what else he's got. Yeah, let, let's hope he picked up defense. Yeah, That would be a start. Well, so here's my last thing on Brooklyn. Am I crazy for thinking they're not going to be that bad this year? Nope. Like, I don't think nope. they're going to have a top five pick. 
Nope. Boston fans should actually be nervous. Yeah. Because, like, even last year, when Jeremy Lin played, they weren't as bad as their record would indicate. They were, like, they were bad. You know, they were just a run-of-the-mill bad team. But, like, I would take Brooklyn right now over Atlanta for sure. I I strongly Mm. believe Atlanta is going to be the worst team in the league this year. Chicago. uh, Mm. The Knicks, once they trade Carmelo. uh, (laughs) The the Lakers, I'd probably take the Nets over the Lakers right now. And then yeah, I could I could see the logic in that, especially if Lonzo Ball has a deep learning curve. And then like the Magic are just so consistently underwhelming that I expect them to win somewhere between twenty eight and thirty two games until the end of time. Um, Phoenix, you know who knows what's going to happen with them. We love your team, Orlando. <laughs> no, we love we love your team. <laughs> no, we do not. Stop running your franchise into the ground, Orlando. <laughs> Uh, but the point is, I you know, I for that reason, I understand what Marks was doing, even though, Mort, I agree, like, they, it would have been ideal to get something else in return, because otherwise you're just doing Portland a huge solid, which leads me to my next question. Sarah, what do you think Portland was doing? Were they just trying to save money, or do you think this sets them up to be a part of a Carmelo Anthony deal later in the summer? That is the question, isn't it? It seems like they were involved in quite a few talks. Of course, I have no idea for sure, but uh, it seems like they were looking into that. But even if that doesn't pan out, yeah, you save money. Uh, I think I saw somebody say, I follow quite a few Portland Trailblazers blogs. I don't know why or how that happened. I think, <laughs> <laughs> I think a few... It was, it was when we played them in the first round. When we first played them in, uh, no, I'm sorry, second round in 2014. And I just thought, there's something up there in the water. I think the Portland sense of humor is really great. So <laughs> I just ended up following a bunch of them after that. Uh, and so that's been fun. But they said that it's uh, pretty much the front office admitting that last year's offseason was a mistake. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of things didn't go right, so... It stinks to lose a player like Crab, but they've got to start digging out of that hole. So that seems to be the main goal. Yeah, I mean, it not only was Crab, but Evan Turner. I think Myers Leonard was also last number, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. Oh, my yeah. God. Yeah, <laughs> basically any team that spent money in 2016 is going to regret it if they haven't right. already. Like, with very few exceptions. The Warriors have no regrets. They're good. They... They they are very happy they spent the money on Kevin Durant. But, like, God, even even some of the big contracts that were handed out, like, I love Mike Conley as a player, but five years, $150 million is going to look really bad in a couple of years. As it, like, DeMar DeRozan's contract is already looking iffy. Like, I, I mean, hey, you, you forgot about Mo Harkless. He signed four years and $40 million last year. Oh, He's, wow. He's looking all right though. Yeah. Like he's the he's the that. one redeemable guy there. Yeah. But still it's you're you're putting a lot out for his improvement. Yeah. I mean And he's he's what, twenty four already? Yeah. Crab is twenty five though. Yeah. Yeah, Harkless is still young enough that he can yeah. and, and he's he's a good player. He's fine. I I really don't mind that deal at all. It's just every other deal Portland made last summer that was atrocious. Okay, let's move into, as we mentioned, Pau Gasol. Uh, last week, 
Morton, last week you congratulated mm-hmm. Sarah because <laughs> Kyle Gasol came back and you were like, well, it was definitely a below market deal if they signed him for three years, so good work. Yep. Then we find out that they signed him for three years, as we learned last week. Yep. $48 million. Yep. Partially guaranteed in year three. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> thoughts on that? I was wrong. <laughs> Um, it's a bad deal, but you know, uh, Jesse Blanchard over at Beatball Breakdown mm-hmm. actually wrote a pretty nice piece defending the deal, basically saying it's it's the way the Spurs do business. They they actually pay you well to be flexible. It's a it's a pretty good read. You, everyone who listens should go read it. Um, and and I, I I get the sentiment and I I get the idea behind it. So. That it is what it is. I I don't love the the contract by any means necessary, but um, no, I, I get why it was done. He opted out to give them more flexibility. They got Rudy Gay in there, so that at least helped sharpen up their bench. But good lord, Paul Gasol for three years, at least no two years, and at that price, I, I'm not sure where you go from here. It's it seems like the Spurs are at that point now where everyone is getting to that point where they're either so old that you really can't get anything for them and there's not really a whole lot coming in like on the young side. So I I'm I know we've said this for like the past 20 right. 20,000 years yeah. but that oh they're getting too old but I'm kind of seeing it a little bit now. I mean Kawhi is is all you know obviously not old. He's the one holding everything together but they really need to start getting younger and more athletic. Oh my god, flashback to Garfield. You know what I mean. We prefer younger and unathletic, Morton. <laughs> I know you like do. I know you do. Uh, Kyle Anderson. Yeah, I was going to say. You know, it's, I, I think the Spurs would just benefit so greatly from having a wild athlete in there. That's also why I think the loss of Jonathan Simmons is going to hurt them more than they think. Mm. So we'll see. I'm I'm not crazy about the deal. So, but I'm not gonna troll Sarah because, you know, Tony returned. I don't deserve that that luxury. <laughs> that is true. Sarah, do you have a rebuttal? <laughs> uh, no, I can't even rebut him because he didn't <laughs> even troll me. Um, yeah. <laughs> no, it's. Uh, I mean, you guys know uh, I'm no wizard when it comes to this shit, but um, it's not at all what I was expecting. I'll say that I thought, you know, two years. Because he had only one year left that he opted out of. Okay, so they'll give him two. And I thought he was going to get pretty much the same amount that he would have got just spread out over the two years. Mm. Uh, maybe a little more. But I think he was making $16 million a year. And he's uh, essentially making that over three years now. Uh, but, of course, third year not guaranteed fully. But, yeah, I mean, he really he really made out on the deal. So, I don't know. But Jesse is right. I mean, they like to... Uh, to make good with guys who are flexible for them. So I guess that's really all you can say. Yeah, I'm more, I'm glad you brought up Jesse's piece because I, I agree. Everyone should go check it out on B-Ball Breakdown. I thought it was a pretty pretty solid defense of not only, you know, that's just how the Spurs operate and, you know, maybe they had bigger plans this summer that got foiled. We all kind of suspected Chris Paul was on their radar and then, you know, some Clippers trading him to the Rockets maybe had made them switch gears all of a sudden so you know in a sense it's just nice of them to 
take care of Pow like this and maybe the the conventional wisdom is like well look at Dirk Nowitzki you know the Mavs last year when they made all their moves they signed him to a what two year like 50 million dollar deal with a second year team option uh, and then they declined that and now signed him two years 10 million this summer again second year team option so maybe that's what people wanted the Spurs to do with Pow um, I think part of it is and Jesse touched on this in the piece part of it's a change in the CBA so the new CBA it used to be if you traded a guy with a partially guaranteed contract like say you know Pau Gasol his last year 16 million but only like 2 million is guaranteed it would still count for the trade as 16 million and then you yep. can waive him and then pay 2 million and you save 14 million dollars now only the portion that is guaranteed counts when you're trading him so i think at least you know i (laughs) i haven't spoken with anyone in the spurs front office (laughs) but i'm guessing that was the reason they preferred a three-year deal so even if they do trade him at some point next year the full 16 million will count but that will make him enticing to another suitor because then yeah he's on the books for whatever 16 million in 2018-19 but then only a portion of that's going to be guaranteed the following season so before the guarantee date though yeah when is the guarantee do we know is i i think under the old cba was january 10th right uh well i mean some of them let's see if spotrack has it there's some contracts have um different guarantee dates so let's see if yeah but i think the ultimate latest is in the middle of january yeah uh let's see so 6.7 million of it is guaranteed i'm not sure what date that will be but i mean the oh i miss sham sports i know the point is i mean that will make him theoretically a trade chip to dangle you know say around the trade deadline next year if things are falling apart the question i have sarah this summer we saw that you know the market was not as robust as we expected a lot of that was because teams just don't have cap space after going drunk and spending Mm -hmm. all their money last summer next summer is now looking even worse because so many teams are going to be in the luxury tax there are a lot of big name free agents on the market including lebron chris paul demarcus cousins etc so lamarcus aldrich he's got a player option worth north of 20 million I think before this summer, we all assumed he would decline that option, make more money on a longer-term deal. What do you think happens now? Do you think, you know, we've heard the rumblings that he's unhappy there, that they're unhappy with him. Do you think he declines that option? That's that's the thing. Uh, It makes me a little uncomfortable that you brought that up. (laughs) Trying trying not to think about it. Um, Yeah, we've all been operating under the assumption that he's going to decline because he's unhappy, but... <clears throat> yeah, I mean, <clears throat> for his own good, financially, I would hope that his uh, his agents actually advise him, maybe you don't want to do that, um, because this, this year and, and next year, it's, it's been a little scary, uh, especially for bigs. <clears throat> Sorry, my throat's all. <clears throat> yeah, yep. The Bulls will take him, though. We all know <laughs> that's going to happen. That would be all right. Um I, you know what? I still I think he's got a pretty healthy ego. So 
I still think he might he might opt out, uh, which might be best for everybody. Maybe somebody takes a shot on him. Uh, one of those teams that isn't very good. Uh, like I said, Phoenix wanted him. Go ahead, Phoenix. Yeah, <laughs> right. You know, take a shot. But I don't know. Yeah, it's a good question, Brian, because... Yeah, I mean, like we just mentioned, I think last week, uh, Jamichael Green, Nerlens Noel. I mean, you got several guys still out there this year. Mm-hmm. Um, so, <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. I, I still am leaning towards. I think he's going to opt out, but I just don't know. Yeah. Can, can I just ask a question here? Because we agree that one of the reasons. LaMarcus is unhappy is because he doesn't get a lot of touches or at least plays a big enough role, right? There, I, I, I have severe problems understanding this because outside of Kawhi, who's there to really take on the scoring burden? It seems to me that he has every possible opportunity to be that second guy mm-hmm. and to get a lot of points on the board every single night. Sarah, can you just break it down for me? What the hell is he not getting? Because it's, when you look at that team, when you look at the talent, th- th- there is not that second score there. So what's the problem, really? I think the problem, really, is that he isn't all that efficient with the touches he gets. So he feels like his numbers aren't what he wants them to be. Well, they aren't what you want them to be because you're not making the most of the touches that you get. Mm-hmm. Um God, I had a thought, and I just lost it. So he's essentially pissed at the team for being bad himself. <laughs> I mean, he, you said it more, not me. <laughs> but, no, 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 I but, mean, um, yeah, but but that, yeah, that would explain at least something. It's illogical as hell, but it would at least, you know, if he's a guy who goes back home, goes to basketball reference, looks up his stats, and he goes, why am I not averaging 25? Oh, good lord, it's the Spurs. It's not myself. Don't doesn't matter I shoot 35%. I mean, yeah. I mean yeah, he's, yeah. Not, he's not getting force-fed like what he was used to. I also think part of the problem is, you know, what, what he signed two summers ago. Um, mm-hmm. None of us knew how good Kawhi was going to be. Like, there was no way that Marcus could have known. I, I think... He maybe should have had some idea that Kawhi is going to compete for those those touches. He's going to be... I mean, Pop had already said Kawhi is going to be the face of the franchise. But I think yeah. that LaMarcus had reason to believe that he'd still be, you know, much closer. Uh, but but if you look at their usage rates, they're pretty... They're really close. So uh, he is getting the touches. Uh, he just, like I said, he, he's not that efficient... As a post-up player, he's he and Powell both, you know, we looked at that last year, mm. were middle of the pack. You know, they were average. So, you know, and then what really was LaMarcus's bread and butter was the mid-range shot, and he wasn't very good shooting that last year. and only got worse, you know, as Tony got hurt. Uh, and, then, and then, of course, Kawhi followed, and then it really just looked bad. He's not as bad as the playoff performance would, would suggest, but, yeah, he's just not... A, He's never really been a very efficient player, and he's kind of gone downhill. So um, I think he's unhappy because he feels like the Spurs make him look bad because we just don't play that style that that he wants <laughs> us to play partially. And then, like I said, when he gets the ball, he's not efficient. And you know, he kind of depends on a point guard like Tony 
but Tony's getting long in the tooth. So, you know, I think he thinks it's the Spurs' fault. Oh, NPA ecos. <laughs> I mean, remember, that was the problem in Portland, too, in theory. Like, he got mad that Damian mm-hmm. Lillard turned into, like, he, the co-build star. And so, you know, he wanted to be the face of the yeah. franchise in Portland. He was for a while because it was a battle of attrition and Brandon Roy mm-hmm. and Greg Oden, you know, the injuries knocked them, knocked them out. So LaMarcus was the guy. And then Lillard came onto the scene. You know, he's the guy with the big Adidas contract. He's the guy, you know, Lillard time in the playoffs. So then LaMarcus was like, well, what's up, guys? You know, I've been the face of the franchise for a while. And then he goes to the Spurs... I mean, Sarah, I think you're right to say we didn't realize Kawhi was going to become an MVP candidate this quickly, but he had already been the finals MVP. So if LaMarcus didn't realize Kawhi was, like, at least, you know, all-star caliber, I I don't think, I mean, I think both of you have said it. It's like the perception problem was on LaMarcus's side rather than, the Spurs side like this I don't think the Spurs brought him in to be the face of the franchise because Sarah as you said the pop is long already like long proclaimed even before Kawhi's ascendance that he was going to be the face of the franchise so maybe they <laughs> told LaMarcus you'll have co-billing like you'll be billed equally and then Kawhi just took off um but it, it, it does seem like it's more on LaMarcus's side than the Spurs side that said I don't see I mean, unless he's just so abjectly miserable there that he's willing to take a pay cut to leave, I think his agent will will beg him to pick up that player option. Cause I don't <laughs> That's think going to be his way. job next yeah. year. Yeah, he's going to have to work that. Uh, yeah, and we'll see if Marcus listens. But. Yeah, I'm just saying the Bulls have cap space, and we know they <laughs> like. Oh, no, no, but I mean, yeah, you true. know, you think you guys think no. I'm kidding, but. They like guys that they have, you know, if they like a guy in his prime, they are definitely looking to pick him up when he's not in his prime. Look at, okay, let's go through the list here. Ben Wallace, Carlos Boozer, Pau Gasol, Dwayne Wade. These are all guys that they liked even when they were young and then just waited and even declined opportunities to get them in their prime because, oh, it would be too expensive even though it wouldn't be. And then... When they when they come dirt cheap, they overpay them because screw logic. So Lamarcus would just be that next guy. Yeah, maybe that's why they're. I mean, waiting to sign Miritich. <laughs> oh god, no! But like Brian, you've lived in Chicago, yeah. like you know what I'm saying. Yeah. Because this could totally happen. Oh, yeah. they could totally set out feelers to Lamarcus agents, going, you know what? Just put him out in the market. We'll give him four years, eighty. Yeah. All guaranteed. I was about to say three years, 60, but you're right. They would definitely do a full yep. four-year deal because they're the Bulls. <laughs> yep. <laughs> well, oh, if, if he leaves next year, we'll we'll sit down and have a whole air it out, talk about what I think <laughs> about LaMarcus in the whole situation. <laughs> it seems like a lot of Spurs But until are, then. Yeah. I, I can't wait. Like, we should just do commercials for that. <laughs> I mean, that... You are always so reserved when it comes to the Spurs, and whenever someone leaves that you do not like, and when we not rec- when we aren't recording, I mean, I wish we were recording. Let me just keep it that. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you're savage inside. <laughs> savage. You're inside. overselling, Mart. <laughs> but I appreciate it. 
All right, let's now move to the Phoenix Suns. We had some unfortunate news this week. Uh, Brandon Knight suffered a torn ACL, I think, in his left knee. He is all but certain to miss the season. He's signed long-term. I think he has two more years on his deal after this. Um, coming off of a very disappointing season in 2016-17. So, you know, <laughs> it might not affect the Suns all that materially in terms of their wins and losses because he was not playing all that well last year. Tyler Eulis came on at the end of the year and actually did play well. Um, but, Mort, do you think this changes Phoenix's approach especially with, you know, not only necessarily with Kyrie trade talks, but just where they're thinking about where they are heading into the season? I'm not sure because that depends on where they figured Brandon Knight would fit into their rotation and, you know, what their plans with him was. We, we really don't know because, I mean, look, that, that decline or whatever you want to call it, that went quick. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you look at his 2015-2016 season, he was damn near 20 points a game and five assists, and he started that season at just 23 years old. So the potential factor was a huge thing there. And then we just took all that away after one bad season that he just completed now. So, like, we have no idea what they were trying to build with him, but obviously the injury does limit their flexibility. Like, no one is... is like, It's an ACL tear. Like, who is going to be willing to give up anything for a guy who's who's had a horrible season and is coming off a severe injury. Like, I'm not sure what can be done right now. Yeah. I I mean, he was more or less... No one's untradeable in the NBA. Like, we've seen that, you know, we've seen it happen plenty of times in the past where we thought someone was and then they end up getting moved. But Brandon Knight was as yep. close to untradeable as possible, especially, you know, he's on a pretty reasonable, like, affordable deal. He's on, under a pre-cap boom deal. So it's only like, yep. I think five years, 70 million, something like that. Five years, 70. Yes. Yeah. So like that's $14 million a year for a starting point guard. Like Drew Holiday just got 25 million. You know, Brandon Knight, a year in 2015, 2016, played pretty damn well. Um, you know, I would have not been opposed to a team taking a flyer on him prior to this injury. So I think it's just uh, unfortunate for Phoenix. I think it does possibly increase the pressure to make a move elsewhere and you know i'm just gonna go to my grave saying that if they don't trade it for kyrie irving they should have traded for kyrie irving um but yeah i don't think it makes a huge difference in terms of their wins or losses this year they very openly committed to rebuilding and to playing their young guys a lot of minutes which is smart you know they're going to be in line for most likely a top five pick in next year's draft, uh, which is loaded with big men, which is an area of need for them. Um, they still have Miami's 2018 pick, too. So they, like, they could have two top 15, top 20 picks next year. They've got a nice young core going. I think you know, it, it's one less trade chip for them, if you could consider Brandon Knight a trade chip, but I, I don't think it's going to make a huge difference for them other than that. What's ironic is... Phoenix have just more or less, they open themselves up to wanting to take on bad deals for assets. Mm-hmm. Ironically, Brandon Knight is the kind of guy that right now you should be wanting to yeah. call up Phoenix and say, hey, we'll take him off your hands for for an asset. Right. But 
obviously Phoenix is not in a position to, to do that. They can't afford giving up an asset. So, but so it's, that's a little bit unfortunate on their part. But uh, yeah, I I think it's I would still try honestly if I'm a team with some cap space and I'm rebuilding. Good lord, that's like a perfect way to 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 lose out. Like you get a huge chunk of money on your cap, get an asset, and the player's unplayable, so you'll definitely lose more games. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. Um, but it's unfortunate for for Brandon. Like we didn't even take the personal thing into account. Yeah. That's unfortunate because I'm sure that he really wanted to to have a strong season after all the hate that's been thrown his way last year. Mm-hmm. It was, let's be honest, it was unfair. It there was just too much, you know, going against him all the time. Like, oh, he's horrid, worst player in the NBA. You saw a lot of that on Twitter. Yeah. Like, he had a bad year, a very bad year. Yeah, but. Come on, like shit happens. Yeah, he put up like eighteen five and four the year before. Like he played, he's fine. Or like, yeah, he he almost twenty. Yeah, like he he's not an awful player, and he's on a reasonable nope. deal. So it does suck for, you know, I, we wish him the best in his recovery. More, <laughs> you are really playing with fire, my friend, because the Bulls have cap space and they love point guards and guys coming off of ACL tears, so... They do! <laughs> yeah, Brandon Knight, they do. He might, he might as well get his Bulls jersey ready, because he's definitely going to get traded there this year. Oh, oh, and of course, don't don't forget that Gar Foreman obviously looks at him as an asset, so he's going to send a pick to Phoenix, right, obviously, right, right. because... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, oh my god, it's probably... it's right, is, is, is that how it works? Totally funny, I'm, I'm not true. really sure. Yeah. Yeah. I've only I've only been GM since twenty two thousand nine. I'm not really sure how this you know draft picks operate. I'm not sure how it works. Here, just take them, right. take them, do it for yeah. me. I'm not sure. We don't have any use for these Go draft picks. You just please take oh. them off our heads. Yeah, and and we'll sell off our second rounders. Doesn't matter if we have like a fantastic player sitting. It doesn't matter. Right. We'll, we'll all right, uh, let's wrap things up this week. I promised to go into a Ben Simmons rant at the end of last week's episode, so <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna quickly rant about Ben Simmons because this happened a few weeks ago. It was during summer league where he gives an interview and he says, you know, I'm the starting point guard, and all of a sudden it was plastered on every major sports website, the top of their NBA section. Ben Simmons, I'm the starting point guard, and then. The analysis is like, well, wait, didn't they just take Markel Fultz? How's that going to work? Is Ben Simmons going to guard and poison point guards? Where's Markel Fultz going to play? Is Markel Fultz coming off the bench? Okay. Here's how, like, this really shouldn't be that hard, right? It's like this, we're in a positionless NBA, so positional titles do not matter. So Ben Simmons is not going to guard opposing point guards. The Sixers starting five is going to be Markel Fultz, J.J. Redick, Robert Covington, Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. Ben Simmons is going to handle the ball more like he's going to be the primary ball handler because he does not have a good jump shot, so he is not well suited to play off the ball as much as Markel Fultz, who shot 40% from three. That said, they are not going to marginalize Markel Fultz's talent as a ball handler. He will also have that role. Uh, he will serve like as a complementary ball handler. Like, I just don't understand why there's so much kerfuffle over this when we've seen the Warriors and even the Cavs, like, prove in recent seasons that having multiple ball handlers isn't a bad thing. Like, I, I'm not worried. There are, there are things that worry me about the Sixers' future. The division of uh, touches between Simmons and Fultz are not one of them. 
more am I crazy for thinking that way? I know you've been very anti Ben Simmons point guard for a while. No, no. Okay, so ju- just put let's. Jesus, Brian, you always do this. You make me feel like you you always put me in like a demon body here. Look, I'm not against Ben Simmons as a point guard per se. I had a problem with him like defending point guards because I believe that you are the position that you defend. Yeah. However, like you can play the point guard position offensively speaking, where you just set up plays. Like if we go by that logic, LeBron James is a point guard. He's just never labeled as right. one. So it's just I just think the whole conversation is so stupid because it's all about labels. Yeah. It doesn't matter. It freaking doesn't matter. If we were to apply this same logic to LeBron, you know, he's a point guard. Then hell, um, Jimmy Butler is a point guard. You know, it, it, it doesn't work like that. <laughs> right. Giannis yeah. is a so, point guard. Uh, is a point guard, yeah. right? Carmelo, considering the frequency that he <laughs> yeah. handles the ball, at least in previous seasons with the Knicks, is a point guard. Yeah. So no, uh, what I'm just what I'm nervous about was the fact that defensively speaking, mm-hmm. I just didn't want him to chase around smaller guards. Yeah. Obviously, Brett Brown is too smart for that, so he will like let him guard small forwards or power forwards or whatever. So I I don't see Ben Simmons as a point guard per se. I don't think. If, you know what do I know? Two K should like label him a point guard. Mm. I should. I just think he should. You know, be a ball handling four, ball handling three man. Who cares? And then just share the ball like you said. We have talked about positionless basketball for ages, and that's the movement going on in Philadelphia and and uh, in Golden State as well. And it works. So like you, no, I'm not concerned whatsoever. And if people are really moaning and complaining about having multiple ball handlers. Like, where are you stuck? The 70s? Right. 80s? Like, what the hell are you talking about? Oh, oh, wait a second. In the 80s, you know, the Lakers had both Magic and Nixon, right? Yeah. Yeah, so multiple ball handlers. Yeah. I mean, just saying. So, I'm not, I'm not nervous about it at all. And hey, look, we can throw Joel Embiid in there, too. He's going to handle the ball a lot in the half-court situation. That, yeah, I mean... I, oh, and Sarge. I Jesus. Know, Sarge, too, yeah. And, like, they, I love that. I know. I agree. I don't understand why people are so up in arms about it. I, I cannot tell you how many articles I had to read right after that stuff came out about, like, well, how is this going to work? It's like... <laughs> All right, so let, let, let's, let's flesh it out. You are five players. We're going all basic here. You have five players on the court for a team. If, you, if four of them can initiate... The offense and four of them can play make and set others up. Are we all in agreement that that makes an offense more unpredictable? Yes. Is that also the purpose of an NBA offense? Yes. Case closed. I agree. I don't understand it. And then you have, you know, you're still going to have capable playmakers off the bench, and TJ McConnell, Sarich is most likely going to come off the bench because, I mean, Covington's going to start because you need his defense in the starting lineup. Um, especially because neither Fultz nor Redick are great defenders. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Embiid will cover up a lot of mistakes, but like you don't want to make him challenge everything at the rim. Like ideally, you stop some opposing guards or wings occasionally. Um, so, so for that reason, Saric is going to come off the bench, and he's probably you know I don't want to say he he wouldn't thrive as a starting power forward elsewhere, but. 
for this current Sixers roster construction, like that's the role he is best suited to play. Whether he's willing to do that for his entire career remains uncertain. Probably not. But mm-hmm. you know, maybe he's he takes after Manu Ginobili. He's like, yeah, that's cool. <laughs> I don't care. Just put me in on the court at the end of games. I'm good. Um, yeah, they, like I just it drives me crazy because I just don't understand why people are so worried about this. Like I, I yeah, I mean. Yeah. No, I feel it's you. gonna take it's gonna take Fultz and Simmons a minute to figure out how to play next to another, uh, you know, a guy who's used to being the ball handler. But like mm-hmm. the Rockets are gonna have that problem with Chris Paul and James Harden. They're gonna figure it out. Like it, it's not it's not a problem. It's like it's a first world problem because right. you have like as you said, Mort. Like what team wouldn't want multiple capable ball handlers? And I think. Simmons especially, like, you are wasting him if you don't use him as a ball handler because he's not a good shooter. Right. And, you know, he runs transition really well. So if you have him as the ball handler, like, opposing power forwards or opposing big men are not used to guarding someone who's going to be the ball handler. So it puts, like, a unique stress on the defense. Whereas Fultz is, you know, if Ben Simmons wasn't on this team... Fultz could absolutely be the full-time playmaker, and I would have no problem with that. Like, he's more than capable of that role. But because Ben Simmons is on this team, use him more as an off-ball slasher, cutter, shooter. That's fine. Let him, you know, like, those dudes are going to pick up so many hockey assists this year. Like, imagine just a play in transition where it goes Simmons, Fultz, mm-hmm. and me. Like, <laughs> it sucks that they're not both going to get eight to ten assists a game, but, like, throw in hockey assists in there, and they're each going to have at least eight to ten assists and hockey assists a game, so. You, you know what surprises me? It's that Philly fans really have a short memory. Yeah. Because it was against Philly that Derek Rose tore his ACL. Mm-hmm. One of the reasons that Derek tore his ACL was his body was just, it was beat up. And that's just so I... I make this so perfectly clear as I can. This is not because of Tom Thibodeau. Right. So yeah. that was because management thought that his shooting guard for the past year when he was MVP should be Keith Bogans. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Look, and Lou Aldang could not handle the basketball. Joakim Noah had not developed to the point where he could be that playmaker that he was in the years that followed. Carlos Boozer couldn't handle the basketball. CJ Watson it was not a guy you could put into the starting lineup and expect a hell of a lot. You did not have a playmaker in, in two off the bench. You had Ronnie Brewer, who also had to be set up. So Derek handled the ball 80-85% of the time, constantly, and he was the sole creator. You put so much pressure on a guy's body when he has to do everything offensively. Mm-hmm. So Philly fans, pay attention <laughs> If you want to avoid injuries, and good lord, you know about injuries, don't you? Yeah, sure do. Then, for the love of God, <laughs> be glad that you have that much talent and that many players who can actually handle and initiate the offense. Imagine if he only had one and he went down with an injury, then what? Yeah, I agree. Look, here's the thing. That's that's another thing. If Ben Simmons or Markel Foles, and you know, knock on wood, it doesn't happen. If one of those guys goes down, or hell, if both go down, you have Dario Saric, mm-hmm. you have Joel Embiid, you have T.J. McConnell, you have guys there 
so it would be easier to replace that level of production at least in terms of playmaking and setting up others yeah. so yeah no i don't i don't understand yeah it, like it's going to make brett brown's job harder but he's the only one who should be worried about it like everyone else should just be no it's yeah I, it's not he has quality yeah, now i think I he's 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 enjoying this like he he I, I think i actually think his job is so easy right now because look at that roster yeah. if everyone is healthy yeah. i mean it's a good team I, it's yeah. a, at least it's a good good group of talent i don't know yet if it's a good team yeah. we'll see but, but yeah this is the first oh my god i was thinking about it today this is the first time since sam hinkey took over where you could look at that roster and like yeah they're 10 deep with legitimate nba players like Right. They have the aforementioned starting five, and then some combo of, like, McConnell. Uh, you can either do Jared Bayless or Timothy luau Caparo at the two, Justin Anderson yeah. at the three, Sarge at the four, Rashawn Holmes at the five. We're not mentioning mm-hmm. Jaleel Okafor because he's, again, he, he's not part of this team's future at all. Um, well, still, okay, I'm I'm going to break you off there. We, we need to stop this constant Jaleel Okafor thing. Now I know no, I get don't. you, and I'm with you. <laughs> no, no, but listen up. Like if if the injury bug really really hits, yeah, yeah. you know, to a, like the per- perverse degree. Oh god. No, no, I'm just saying you could find worse, like third, fourth options. Yes, yeah, that's true. Than Jalil Okafor, at least he would he would participate in helping the ship stay afloat. So, like in, instead of. Jan Mahimi. I mean, the, in theory, that's why you signed Amir Johnson as like an emergency break, break class in case of emergency yeah. big man. But yeah, if yeah, but those angles though. I mean, yeah. So like, God forbid if MB goes down. I mean, no, no process person is ever going to watch the Sixers again if MB goes down again. But yeah, Okafor could at least be injury insurance if nothing else. Sarah, do you have any yeah. strong takes about the Ben Simmons point guard era that's about to unfold? No, I agree with what you said, that if you don't use him in that way, that you're wasting his greatest talent. Um, it, it could only be a problem. It just depends on personality. Mm-hmm. As long as both those guys have the personality to where they're not going to freak out, if they're, they're literally counting down each other's touches, yeah. then it's going to be fine. Yeah. That that is what worries me the most about. I mean, aside from health, obviously, because you know I, I'm just expecting everyone's legs to fall off at some point, and then the Sixers staff to oh, misdiagnose God. them and let them play for a month. <laughs> um, oh. Yeah, the personality thing is what worries me the most about this team moving forward. Because you know, usually if you get a number one pick, that player expects he's going to a bad team more often than not. He expects to become the face of the franchise you don't often have three guys, you know, within four years of each other, all of whom, like, if Embiid were healthy going into his draft, he would have been the number one pick. So, like, he was the the, the caliber of talent of a number one pick, and now you have Simmons as the number one pick, Fultz as the number one pick. So, like, those guys, I'm worried about a similar Kyrie Irving situation developing a couple of years down the line where, like, you know, maybe they win or maybe they, you know, they... They turn into the East Coast version of the Clippers, where they like they're a fifty-win perennial team. They can't get over the hump. One of them wants to leave because he wants to do his own thing. Or hell, maybe they all win a ring together, and then Ben Simmons decides he wants his own team. So yeah, you know he he doesn't have the I couldn't win a ring without Joel Embiid thing. I'm hoping mm. 
that Embiid is just so entertaining both on and off the court that he can keep the locker room together. But, you know, this is the scary part now. The Sixers, like, the last four years, they've been fun just because they've been so bad and the expectations have been so low. Now it's like people expect this team to make the playoffs this year. So now it starts to get a little scarier in terms of, like, oh, my God, this is the first time since the Bynum season where anything is expected (laughs) out of this team. Well, I'm not in full agreement with you, Brian. I think Sam Hinkie left one big gift that everyone seems to ignore. What's that? Trust the process. <laughs> it's become more than just a sentence. Yeah. It's become a way of thinking. Just look at Markel Fultz, Joel Embiid, just constantly going trust the process on Twitter and whatnot. It's become more than that. It's become something meaningful. It's become a community of sorts. And here's the thing, the Kyrie Irving situation can't be compared because you had LeBron fucking James coming in from outside. Yeah, that's true. These guys are going to grow up together. They're kids. Mm -hmm. By all means and purposes, they're kids. They, They are going to become friends. They are going to get together. And because they're that young and they are not, you know... NBA superstars that has to be treated so carefully it's pathetic they are going to be hardened by that together they're going to learn on the way they're going to learn on the job and they're going to find a symmetry together and if one of them it turns out to be a bad apple I could even see that things would actually turn out quite all right by having internal dialogue Mm -hmm. I think that Sam oh Sam Presti no (laughs) He's in Oklahoma, you know, making great deals. Yeah, right. No, I Sam, yeah, Sam Hinkie. I think he just left a great psychological precedent mm. for the future of the Sixers with trust the process. From your lips to God's ears, Mort. I can know that I'm going to knock on every piece of wood in my house when we stop recording. Why would Michael Jordan listen to me though? <laughs> All right, uh, that is a good place to wrap things up for this week. As always, thank you for tuning in. Remember, you can check us out on Twitter at the NBA Podcast. In our bio, you can find all three of our Twitter handles as well. You can also find us on iTunes, so check us out there. Subscribe, download, leave some reviews. We would love any feedback. And we're being hosted this year on FanRag Sports, so check them out on Twitter at FanRag Sports and for their NBA content at FanRagNBA. Until next time, I'm Brian Toporek, and I was joined by Morton Jensen and Sarah Chalea. Have a good one, you two. Take care, y'all. Yeah, bye. (laughs) Get to Old Navy for the biggest sale of the year. Up to 60% off all back-to-school styles for kids and baby. Get flip-flops for 2 bucks, graphic tees for 4 bucks, shorts for $6, and jeans for $8. Right now, get the best kids' styles at kid-sized prices. Just two, four, six, and $8. Can't wait to wear it? Buy online and pick up in-store free today. Up to 60% off all kids and baby styles now at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 729 to 811. Select styles. Excludes in-store clearance.
Get to Old Navy for the biggest sale of the year. Up to 60% off all back-to-school styles for kids and baby. Get flip-flops for 2 bucks, graphic tees for 4 bucks, shorts for $6, and jeans for $8. Right now, get the best kids' styles at kid-size prices. Just 2 4 6 and $8. Can't wait to wear it? Buy online and pick up in-store free today. Up to 60% off all kids and baby styles. Now at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 729 to 811. Select styles. Excludes in-store clearance. Clearance. 